I tend to think of innovation is the delivery of research. Okay. So maybe fundamental research, maybe you have translational research where you're trying to make that useful, maybe having applied research where you're actually trying to do something with it. Mm -hmm. But innovation really is about uh, spanning this chasm, this valley of death of uh, where good ideas go to die. <laughs> Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant, and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast, sponsored by Applied Software. You're invited to join our MEP and construction innovation adventure with a mission to propel this great industry forward. My guest today is my first from down under. He was named as one of Australia's most innovative engineers by Australia's peak engineering body, Engineers Australia. And he was also named one of Australia's and the US top 10 young scientists by Popular Science Magazine. He is the founder and CTO of Prezium, a cutting edge AI vision systems. Dr. Nathan Kutchner's specialty is uncovering and imagining opportunities for emergent robotics and future technologies in the real world and forging viable R&D and development pathways to their realizations. Welcome to the show, Nathan. Thanks, Todd. Very excited to be here. Awesome. Uh, so let's start by hearing the story of, of how you started your work and, um, you know, what got you into AI software? Um, so, so it's actually a fairly simple story. So I was, um, spent a lot of time at universities and I was working on um, robotics type stuff. And a big part of robotics is the situational awareness, trying to um, give the robot some sense of what's going on around it mm. and some understanding of how to interact with that, how to deal with that, how to you know, be present in that. Uh, so that was going quite well, went on for maybe a decade type thing, then moved over into a industry role in a construction company. And all of a sudden it became very obvious that just, just that small element, just that situational awareness really was quite a valuable thing to, to put into a system that uh, humans were using. Yeah. Nice. Uh, so why is it important to, uh, to train AI software and, Frankly, and you can't unpack that. What does that even really mean? <laughs> but I, I think um, I think robotics and definitely artificial intelligence has suffered the same fate as the rest of the world. So someone's decided that buzzwords is really all <laughs> around. And it's um, probably some I, marketer somewhere, you know. <laughs> I think it's a combination between marketers and um, young people who need PhDs. <laughs> you get a PhD by making something pretty simple, actually needlessly complicated. There you go. And then adding something on top of it. <laughs> so it's really, uh, I think the, the probably the cleanest analogy is to think about, you know, your young kids. So you, your kid might be great. Your kid might be smart. Your kid might be clever, but if they don't know something, they don't know it. So they have the capacity to try and understand and to try and solve problems, but they need to learn. They need some experiences. They need something to, benchmark they're thinking on. So that's really the situation with AI. AI is a type of framework for thinking through things, for understanding examples that's been given, for working through its own knowledge. And the machine learning aspect of it is to give it some ability to create its own knowledge to do the thinking on top of. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, unpack a little bit more on, you know, what really is present uh, and you know, uh, what's the AI component there? Sure. So it's, it's really, um, 
quite interesting. If you think of some examples, like let's just say Tesla, because that, that's a current one. Yeah. So they'd use, uh, on, in the buzzword world, they'd use the same thing that we use. So there's some AI, there's some situational awareness, they've got systems for looking around, knowing what's there. But really, it's completely different. So if all the examples it learns off, if all the things it's thinking about, if everything gets working through is, in Tesla's case, based on roads, on highways, on traffic, on urban environments of you know, people going shopping, that may or may not work or may or may not directly translate across into uh, you know, a construction site or something a little bit uh, more hectic. Mm-hmm. You can think of uh, pretty, maybe perhaps coarse examples, but they're pretty cute, I think. So you, you may learn a, a second language and you might be quite good at it. And then you find a second, uh, someone who natively speaks that second language, but they're from a different part of the country from the person you learned from. And all of a sudden they can't understand you and you can't understand them. Mm-hmm. So you're like, I don't get it. It's the same thing. We're doing the same thing. We're working the same way, speaking the same language, but all of a sudden nothing works. I don't understand anything. So, so that drags us back into the, the importance of the training data or of what the AI learns on. So you might be very good at learning. I might be very good at learning, but it's the very, very rude, I'm afraid, garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. So if, I, if I learn highway environment in the States versus needing to use it in Australia, it's, it's just not the same. Sure, sure. Uh, so how have you gone about training your software? Um, I wish there was a shortcut, but the answer is by spending a lot of time and a lot of money. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't my money. So it's really quite literally the you know, 100,000 hours of real use on a real site in a real environment. Mm-hmm and millimeter by millimeter. So it's kind of interesting because, you know, you grab your Uber, your Tesla, or your Google, and you hear about they're up to 1 million hours on the road. And it, I guess if you're in that niche, it's, it has a feeling of coming across a bit like marketing. But if you're actually deep in the niche, you realize that is literally the only way. That's mm-hmm. why school lasts 10 or 12 or 15 years. A lot of repetition, a lot of saying the same thing over, a lot of incremental learning. So to go, in, in our case, to go out on site, try something and, and let's just be dramatic. It, it worked 90% of the time saying, well, that's good. That it's got to be a little bit better. So iterating it, making it a little bit better, going back and now being at 91 and going, okay, right direction, let's try again. And just grinding out that last little bit of performance to actually get there yeah one of the um really I, I think special stuff is in the the lab back home because if you think about it and this is kind of what a good you know good school teacher does if you think about it there might be a hundred things we can learn from but 20 might send us in the right wrong direction 20 might send us in the right direction 20 might be confusing 20 might be pointless 20 might be good but for a different scenario so, so let's say that pre-filtering stage, mm-hmm. or that, um, so you, you get this a lot in um, big data and data science type fields, like where, where's the value, where's the actual learning? So you think about that pre-filtering uh, stage, the downsampling uh, that we actually went through of having several million images, several million uh, possibilities for training to pick the 
think we're up to about 15 or 16,000 actually really valuable examples to learn from makes a huge difference because if you've learned the wrong lesson, you think you're right, but you don't work so well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really interesting because you, you don't think about it uh, really taking that fine detail uh, right off the bat. You know, I, I think of AI and it's like, oh, you, you, the computer just kind of does its thing. And you don't think of all the tiny little details that, that go into that and how one small little input somewhere can make a really big difference, either positive or, or negative, if you're inputting the, the wrong data in there. Yeah, and, and then you've also got the environment, right? So you, you would have seen the kind of AI that you'd see from something like uh, you know, Siri, mm-hmm. and it kind of works. So most of the time it works, right? Yeah. So I, I don't know how it goes uh, with you. Your accent's probably a little bit cleaner than mine, so it probably works a bit better for you, but not, not out of 10 times it works for me. And the one yeah. out of 10 times, it doesn't matter because all I was trying to do was call someone or send an SMS or make an appointment. So I'll just try again, no big deal. Yeah. As soon as you kick the AI use over to a heavy industry, it is a big deal. So if it only works nine out of 10 times, engineers just literally say, no, no, I'm not using that in my system. No, that can't be here. That's not good enough. If it worked 99% of the time, so 999,000 times out of a million, still not quite good enough. Uh, we need to go for Six Sigma or something. So wow. just that, that little change, just uh, I think it's a very perception thing. And it's actually one of the, the biggest bones of my existence because the, the infamous executive will see a video on LinkedIn of some AI running and go, there you go, it's easy. Right. <laughs> yeah, but if you're doing the job 12 hours a day, seven days a week, and it makes three mistakes out of 10, it would be really easy to be angry at it too, wouldn't it? Right. (laughs) And he didn't say how it was easy. He just said it was easy, right? (laughs) During these uncertain times, Meztech Machinery has found a way to help its customers with service and installation virtually. They have virtually installed plasma cutters, lasers, cut to length lines, and complete coil lines. It has truly been amazing what their team has been able to do to keep the contractors producing and to provide contractors with new installs all remotely. For more information, go to meztechmachinery.com. They are also a sponsor at this year's MEP Force Virtual. Go to mepforce.com to register for $99 using promo code BTG99 for your chance to talk with Meztech about how they can help you. What do you see really as the, the main power and potential of AI? Yeah, so it it's really comes down to a couple of very short words. So the vigilance, the reliability, and the consistency. So, so we know what we need some help with. It's not that complicated. So, you know, especially in something like construction, it's, it's actually very formulaic. We know what the job is. We, we know what needs to be done. Mm. it's boring though <laughs> so if we if we have to do this job which may involve staring at a wall to make sure there's no cracks yeah but we have to it, stare at it for 12 hours straight it's really boring yeah. <laughs> so 
to get uh, a system, or this is the, the great thing with the you know robot or the computer, to get something that you for a start you don't have to feel bad about asking it to stare at a wall all day. <laughs> and, for, and for second, we'll just do it. It will, it will just you know well in this case mindlessly spend twelve hours staring at the wall. Yeah, it will always stare. It won't blink. It won't look away. It, it won't wipe its nose. It won't have a, a tummy rumble. It won't take a lunch break. And it may never be as good as you and I, but it'll always be exactly the same. Uh, so every time it says seven, it means seven. And this seven equals the last seven. And the next seven equals the next seven. So yeah. that kind of consistency, that kind of diligence of, and vigilance and that kind of reliability is quite literally music to an engineer's ears. It's just like, oh, okay, well, it doesn't need to be perfect to build a system off it. It needs to be repeatable. It does the same thing every time. I can work that into a system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. So you mentioned situational awareness earlier. What does that really mean? And why do you think that's important for construction? I said this one's pretty interesting. It, I think some of the, the most meaningful stuff that, that kind of got my thinking to change was from the field of psychology. But it's maybe paraphrasable as people lie to us to themselves, we lie to ourselves. Uh-huh. So we think we know what's going on and we think we're looking at everything, but we've actually got this you know, pinpoint focus that we right. just drift around and we try and drift around quickly enough to keep track of what's going on. We kind of blur in some things in our head and we go, yeah, yeah, no, I know. So you like I have a mum and we all know mums have eyes in the back of their heads. It's very true. <laughs> it feels true, doesn't it? They don't actually know. <laughs> so this concept of situational awareness is if we did have 360 degree uh, vision mm-hmm. and we did have some indication of what's going on all the time and that was running in parallel so all simultaneously it might be useful so we might actually be able to develop a system that you know gives someone eyes in the back of their head in a normal environment so i'm in an office right now it doesn't make much sense and the way we deal with it as the people is we just sit with our backs to the wall. So we don't have to worry about what's behind us. Mm-hmm. Um, on a construction site or any heavy industry site or, or many workplaces, things are literally going on everywhere. So, you know, here I'm busy here, there's something going on over there and you, you can just simply not notice. I, I think one of the most probably terrifying things that ever happened to me I was talking to a senior health and safety um, manager at a construction site and we were talking, have a lovely chat. And he said to me, yeah, so sometimes you just don't hear a train coming. And, and I just couldn't deal with it. I'm just like, what? You, you, you can't hear a 200 ton train coming? Like, that doesn't yeah. make any sense. He's like, well, yeah, you're busy on the job. You're looking at other things. There's lots of noises going on. You just don't hear the train. You can't hear a train. You just get used to it. Yep. Couldn't, I, I couldn't believe it. So he took me somewhere and said, stand here. I'm standing there. We're talking. And he was just started smiling at me. I'm like, what? <sighs> train straight past me. I'm like, oh, where did that come from? Oh, wow. Like, yeah, see, flashing lights, machines working, people talking, things going on. You don't hear a train. Took, take a step backwards and there was a real problem, right? Yeah, again. Okay, so this concept of situational awareness of 
okay, maybe if I did have the 360 degree outside radar, it's a good example in an airplane or something. Right. I might have just got a little nudge. It is a very coarse form. It doesn't really matter what it is. Just mm. something behind you is better than nothing behind you. Something's coming better than not having a clue. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we go fully down this pathway of AI that we've been down to actually be able to differentiate what it is, be able to say, you know, reliably, this is a tree or this is a vehicle or this is a person, then it's just that little bit extra information. We are, uh, we're very good at knowing what to do. We're very good at having plans and we're very good at carrying out the plans. What we're missing is the little nudge to start with. So bam, it's, a, it's time to go, start the plan now. Mm. Interesting. Uh, so as, a, as one of the most innovative engineers, what does innovation mean to you? Uh, so this one's pretty, I find this one a bit funny, a bit cheeky, I can't help but be a bit cheeky. So um, there, there's many colors in the rainbow that is research to delivery. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, so probably NASA did a good good job however long ago with their TRL levels so you know you go from one which is maybe uh, backroom university research to maybe nine which is more like it's been in a factory for the last 20 years being used so I tend to think of innovation is the delivery of research okay. so maybe fundamental research maybe you have translational research where you're trying to make that useful maybe having applied research where you're actually trying to do something with it. Mm-hmm. But innovation really is about uh, spanning this chasm, this valley of death of uh, where good ideas go to die. <laughs> actually like, okay, that's cool. And it worked really well, that one in a hundred, but to make a product out of it, it needs to work a hundred out of the hundred. Yeah. So. Innovations, the use of ideas, the use of research, the use of technology, the, the use of knowledge to make money. Nice. So when we were chatting before the podcast, uh, you, we were talking about, you know, how do you really get buy-in from, from other people and, and encourage people to adopt your idea? Because you can have the most innovative idea in the world, but if nobody's adopting it, does it, yeah. what's it really matter? Uh, how do you go about gaining that buy-in from others? Uh, so I think this is a big cultural difference between Australia and America to start okay. with. Yeah. So we have a very um, bottom-up culture in Australia. It's uh-huh. n- not much talking, not much salesmanship, not much shine on things. It's very, very, it is what it is. It does this. If you want it, you should get it. If you don't want to do that, there's no need for you to have it. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. That leads to a very um, empirical or demonstration type thing. Sure. So it's not so much about uh, buying, it's more about the, the viral or the compelling nature. Uh-huh. So the, the way that um, typically achieve traction is almost through being rude. So it's almost like, well, mate, I have no idea what you do for a living. I really don't know. I kind of think you should have tried harder at school and then you wouldn't have to be working here. But whatever looks cool i have heard something about you can't see behind these things so if you think of a 400 ton dump truck it's pretty obvious that you can't uh you know the operator will say well some french to start with because i was probably overstepped the first <laughs> but then say you can't see anything out of these things why don't you jump in the cab and have a look 
jump in the cab, have a look. You can't see anything, okay, nice and clear. This little bit of tech, in the case we're talking about right now, is a reverse sensor, the diff, a reverse camera. The difference with this reverse camera is it can see and think for itself. So rather than just having a screen you have to pay attention to, it just tells you person. Mm -hmm. So if a shopping bag's going past, it ignores it. If a dog with a fluffy tail is going past, well, no, it's a dog with a fluffy tail, but it doesn't do anything. If a person's going past, red alert. Um, generally, that's too many words, and the typical user just goes, yeah, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so then it's time to, well, why don't I just show you what it does? And I think this is the, perhaps, a big cultural difference. So in, in Australia, at least, we have the very uh, lead by demonstration type man, mentality. Mm. So I remember the first time I went to Silicon Valley, maybe 15 years ago, and I was introduced to the concept, concept of vaporware, and I've never heard of it here. It's like, so people just talk about what they would do without doing it. That doesn't make any sense. Why would you just do it? Because <laughs> we so, like to talk here in America. <laughs> I think developing the idea is quite an important stage, right? Um, and, and to be fair, I think the balance is needed. So someone's got to have the idea and someone's got to build the momentum behind the idea. Right. But then it would be cool if someone did it too. Yeah. Yeah. So to try and circle back to your question, how, how do I get the buy-in? It's really just shy. So it's like, mate, you've done it before. You've seen it before. You're tired of this thing. You don't want to know about it. You, just not interested really there's no demo there's no pitch here's the thing it does this it will do what i said it would do you either want it or you don't want it you can argue with me for a minute and i'll just give up and leave or i can show you and that will take 20 seconds and you'll have a look and you'll either say yeah i think that would be useful or no that's not for me and i'll just walk away yeah in either case there you go <laughs> simple <laughs> i like it Autodesk Construction Cloud helps mechanical, electrical, and plumbing contractors win more work productively every day. The world's leading specialty contractors rely on Autodesk Construction Cloud to increase collaboration, mitigate risk, and reduce rework as they deliver complex work faster. With Autodesk Construction Cloud, teams are able to win more work by tracking bid invites and managing workloads all from one place increase efficiency by standardizing on common communication and documentation processes across all projects, capture a complete history of work, and ensure fast, complete payment. For mechanical, electrical, plumbing contractors, this results in more productive field and office teams, delivering value and exceeding customer expectations and better business outcomes. Win more work, mitigate risk, ensure quality, and connect your crews all through Autodesk Construction Cloud. Learn more at construction.autodesk.com. They are also a sponsor at this year's MEP Force Virtual 2020 Conference. Why do you think Australia has been uh, kind of a, really a leader in the construction technology innovation? Um. There's a, there's a couple of facets to this, right? So we, we have relatively few companies that do the, the, big, the big things. 
Mm -hmm. uh, construction is a good example. So there's 757,000 construction companies in Australia. And there's 30 big ones and then the rest. Yeah. So it's quite interesting how many companies have got all of them, how many actually do anything, three of them. <laughs> so we have that. And then our culture here is probably violence, the easiest way to say it, or violent with ideas. Uh -huh. It's just um, the, the epitome of, oh, I just really don't want to listen to you. I really don't want to think about it. Just show me. So yeah. that's a double-edged sword. It means there's quite a, a low a barrier for giving it a go. So here we have this. It, it might be useful for this. Do you want to give it a go? Really, the, the concept of value proposition is... Um, so for the, the toolbox spotter, which is about situational awareness, the sales pitch was squishing people sucks. And I, I'm not joking, that was it. So <laughs> going to the boardroom, squishing people sucks and directors walk around and go, yeah, he's right, it does. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Very uh, cut and dry there. <laughs> Very succinct, right? Yeah. So then the next step is, well, so this helps you not squish people, why don't you give it a go? And they do. They're like, well, we don't want to squish people. What would be involved giving it a go? Pressing the on button. Okay, we're in. So you can pretty much say that to anyone yeah. throughout the whole organization, director, CEO, all the way down to the mate who's just driving the thing, wanting to try this. And I was like, yeah, I'll give it a go. We have a very kind of, I think, fair type hierarchy here. So if you know, your boss comes over and you're just the worker, it's, it's not, what the hell are you doing with that thing? It's more like, what's this? What does that? Oh, that sounds cool. Give us a look. So Interesting. Yeah. it's a bit less threatening. We need less maybe social permission in the workplace at least to, mm. to do things. That works. The, the other side gets a little bit more scary. So this is, I'm not exaggerating. It's not a joke. If they don't like the thing that you made, they will do something like get a huge screwdriver and jam it through it or take it out and drive over the top of it and then just play stupid. So they'll just be like, yeah, I, I don't know how that happened. You must've, they must've had that screwdriver in it when you gave it to us. <laughs> so nice. that makes for very, very low barrier to entry yeah. and a very, very tight uh, iteration cycle probably need to bring a bit of resilience with you because it is a bit tragic seeing something you worked on stab with a screwdriver but <laughs> there's no decoding needed you're like oh okay uh, i said this was actually another concept that was introduced to me in silicon valley the concept of market uh, product market fit uh -huh. and, and i you know historically it's like well why would you make something that people wouldn't want why do you have to check yeah <laughs> that's what why would you even do that but yep, it's a thing, okay. But it's very, very clear. It's like, did you see that has been useful? Well, does it have a screwdriver in it or not? Because it <laughs> it's a very not. clear, easy test. Anybody can get it. <laughs> it is, it is, and it's very, very well known, and it's very, very kind of ex accepted, and no one freaks out, no one loses their job, which means going up the chain is very easy. So you know, you go to the big boss, and they're like, "So here, it didn't get stabbed. We'll take a thousand. <laughs> nice. I like that test. I, I think it's a good thing. <laughs> uh, what, what lessons do you think uh, Australia can teach the states? 
Um, so I'm all, all for balance. Um, maybe I've had a fairly skewed um, experience in the States because I've spent most of my time on the West Coast, but I'm all for balance. You yeah. have to balance what you've been talking about, what you're going to do with doing what you've been talking about. Right. So I, I, I you know, I get a bit frustrated by the hype cycle, just watching it from the side. Like it, it does sound cool. It is good. We're working on this big deal with this big major contractor. They're a tier one and we've been going around round circles for miles working out the perfect contract and the perfect engagement stuff. But couldn't we just do something? So that action biased approach, um, I think has some value. I think it needs to be balanced with the plan. Mm -hmm. So when I come back to probably the thing that, uh, you know, let's say we as an Australians could do for, for the States right now is just normalizing behavior. So I spent quite a, a long time teaching at Stanford and, and quite a few of the things I was teaching was, you know, fail forwards, action bias, learn through trial, mm -hmm. need finding, need, uh, need finding, customer-centric design, user-centric operations, stuff like that. It felt odd because it's something you don't have to teach in Australia because hmm. that's just the normal. Mm -hmm. So, and I think it goes both ways. So we have some, I think, uh, great examples in Australia. So I did my PhD on a robot that lives underneath the Harbour Bridge running 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year to do the heavy operation of grip blasting to remove all the highly dangerous paint off so it resurfaces it so it can be painted and a grand total of no one knows about it. So uh, actually walking around the university I was at and people I was doing my PhD with, so you are already working on like this and they're like, there's a robot on the Harbour Bridge. Like, how is that not a thing? How can no one know? So yeah. I think that's kind of the, the thing we could swap so like if we're going to be doing good work we should maybe tell someone <laughs> if we have, we have a plan maybe we should test that maybe we could test with uh you know the rapid prototyping or the, the paper prototyping or, or the words mm -hmm. it before we invest into the actual doing and then flip around the other way of um it's not extra work to to try it's not extra work to be actual action biased there's no cost in failure as long as you learn something. How do you make things with the goal of learning rather than the goal of succeeding? Mm -hmm. uh, so I think there, if we just uh, played with our natural tendencies as a culture, uh, we probably, I feel like we'd make a better team than we would indoctrinating each other. But uh, I, think that, uh, I think that's it. Yeah, I think that's great. I think the balance there is, yeah, I mean, that's, spot on there um for sure and next time you're in the states you should come over to the east coast it's uh it's lovely over here <laughs> so i have not been hearing good things about the east coast with this whole coronavirus thing but other than that <laughs> that's the, that's the northeast <laughs> i'm down here in the south so <laughs> we're uh yeah it, it's hot it's very hot right now but that's all right the bridging the gap podcast is brought to you by applied software 
With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit ASTI.com and let them know we sent you. Uh, well, tell us more about uh, present and, and your, your vision there. Uh, so this one, I think this one's pretty easy and it's a big um, hats off or kudos or thank you to Langer Rock. So I'm not, I'm not sure if Langer Rock's that well known over your place. It's a big construction company everywhere but, but America. <laughs> um, so there was an internal engineering project for this situational awareness, this, this toolbox spotter. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it worked, it was going out onto Langer Rock projects. It was in a, maybe a small network and it ha had a huge amount of value. It had the elusive kind of sign off by this huge anchor customer of like, this is good for our industry. Then uh, Langer Rock took a very impressive step backwards and saying, well, this is maybe worth this much to us as a company, but that, you know, 10 times that to the rest of the world. And um, they started spruiking things like Langer Rock doesn't compete on safety. So, so if this was an operational advantage device, it's just like every other company it never existed. Don't tell everyone we've got a patent, stay away from it. This is our core business. But um, the kind of safety device or the device to help people, you know, get home with their 10 fingers still, they're like, we, we have a moral ethical responsibility to get it out to everyone. So that, that process maybe, you know, went on for a year or something and started to look. We have some pretty heavy stats in Australia and it's actually worse in the States. But we have uh, about 200 people each year who die in a workplace incident in Australia and about 100 or a bit over 100,000 who lose something. So like serious injuries. So the, the kind of thing where people go home at the end of the day and say to their wife, I'm pretty sure I used to have 10 fingers. I only seem to have eight now though, but I'm pretty sure I had 10, but that kind of injury. Yeah. Uh, so, so not the paper cuts. Those numbers are just pretty clear. Like, oh, okay, well, it, oh, it's about 13 times worse in the States, by the way. Oh. So they're pretty clear like, well, if Langer Rock has 10,000 employees, the world has 10 million. So if we're talking about saving fingers, we should try and save as many as possible, right? Yeah. So that instantly blew up the, the infamous uh, TAM. Or, and you, you, know, you, you increase the total addressable market, you drag up service addressable market as well. So it's like, okay, well, that makes sense uh, to go a bit broader. For a start, well, probably mostly for me, it's the right thing to do. For the people who are more in touch with the money, there's more of it, so we should probably go that way. Um, it also removes some of the probably needless objections. So if you think about, you know, competitor number X not wanting to work with competitor number Y, well now we're an independent uh, company. Mm -hmm. So that kind of dragged it out. And then I think the real bonus is by being able to operate as a completely independent company, because I'm um, Langer Rock's now minority shareholder. So venture capitalist funded operating as a independent company we can start to do all the other amazing bits 
and start to really hammer in that whole um, customer delight aspect. Because mm -hmm. to start with, we we're entirely focused on customer needs. We only had one real customer and we were focused on moving metrics, but we're only really after one metrics because we only had one real customer. Mm. So step back and think, oh, well, why not connect it? Why not have it uh, connect to you know, your phone? Why not have it connect to the internet? Why not have it do all these other things to make it that much more usable? So that journey kind of uh, maybe opened the door or launched us out. And then the traction has just been phenomenal. It's not ridiculous. So to, to go through, you know, you pick, pick your heavy industry, anyone show them the thing and then them just go, oh, we have to have this thing right now. And probably a good example uh, for you is, so we had one of the Bechtel, or I should know how to pronounce that guy's name. The guys that built the Harvard, uh, the Hoover Dam. Okay, yeah. Fly, fly over, <laughs> just to have a look. It's like, oh, we've got to get this. And like, oh, we'd have to do FCC 15A before you could have it. But thank you. That's nice. So that, um, I think it's, I think it's the glorious story. And many venture capitalists will tell you this, the glorious story of you achieve product market fit. And then what you need is more people to work on the business and less people to dream about the product. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Uh, well, how do people find out more information or, or get in contact with you? Um, so there's a website, obviously. So prezien.com, P-R-E-S-I-E-N, just in case you can't understand my beautiful Australian accent. <laughs> um, LinkedIn, social media, it, it's tech, tech and construction's actually relatively small. So all roads kind of lead to the same place. If you're East Coast, then you've got a New York chapter of the Society of Construction Solutions, which is really about deep tech and construction. Um, easy there. So I know some of the, the organizers. I actually know some of the founders for the SES. And there's obviously a, a West Coast version as well. There's one in mm -hmm. Sydney. Uh, flick an email to anyone you know at United Rental and say you've heard about this thing and they've talked to us as well. I think there's not that many roads and there's not that much uh, tech and construction you shouldn't have too much trouble finding it <laughs> well nice well thanks so much for for joining the show i really appreciate you you unpacking everything that was great i had lots of fun Todd. thanks yeah and thank you to those listening if you are interested in uh, learning any more you can visit our sponsor applied software at asdi.com for more information you can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to apple podcast Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. Until next time, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Thanks for listening to the Bridging the Gap podcast. Enjoyed the episode? Leave us a rating or review while sharing with your friends and coworkers. I'd love to hear from you. Send me a LinkedIn request or follow our LinkedIn page and let me know if there's a topic you'd like to hear. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Bridging the Gap is directed by Todd Wyan, produced by Alyssa Chartier, edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software production. Copyright Applied Software 2020.